They gave him what he needed. And because they had the right motivation, it created a miracle. That miracle created a moment that the, when the crowd came around and they saw the man leaping and jumping and shouting for the Lord, they were able to use their mouth to preach the gospel. And the Bible said that, that two, at least 2,000 men were added to the church, that they bring in the total to 5,000. And, and just on the technical side, they only counted men in those days. They didn't count women and children. So the number could have easily been 10, 15, or 20,000 people were the, the, the total sum of the church at that point. Now remember, we're only four chapters into the book of Acts, and the church is already somewhere is over 5,000 people. Okay? So we're watching church growth happen. We're watching how God's going to grow his church. And this pattern has not changed. This template has not changed. We've changed. We've tried to do other things to bring people into the church house to count their numbers. But God's word never changed. If you're ever going to build something that God wants to build, you're going to have to build it his way. If you don't believe me, just ask Noah. He'll tell you. <laughs> right? So because of this miracle, it drew a lot of attention. And there was such a great response that the religious leaders of that day got really, really nervous. And then Peter and John get arrested by the religious leaders and put in jail overnight. But the religious leaders were after something. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The title for today's message is Your Authority is on trial. I don't know if you came to church today knowing that you have spiritual authority, but you do, and it's on trial. And the enemy is trying to take it from you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray. Father, we just come to you. We thank you for your word. May it pierce our hearts. God, may your word transform our minds, our hearts, and our spirit, and our soul, and our emotions. May we walk out of here today completely transformed by the power of your word. God, use me to speak your words, not my own. Anoint our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen. Three, three thoughts I want to share with you today. Three things I see in this portion of chapter four that I want, to, I want us to walk away with today. Number one is the questioning. I don't know if you realize this, but the devil's been questioning God's people from day one. If you back the story up all the way to Genesis, he came to Adam and Eve, and what did he do? He questioned whether what God said was real or not. And so his point in questioning us is to get us to start to question ourselves. You ever question yourself? You ever get a little insecure and start to question yourself? You ever wonder why you do that? There's a reason why you do that. It's probably because somebody else questioned you at some point in time and it caused you to question yourself and now you're hooked on this thing and you live in insecurity, right? But God's children don't have to be insecure. In fact, we should be the most secure people on the planet. Period. We should be the last ones to be wondering who we are and what authority we have. So the enemy questioned Adam and Eve and got them to question themselves and everything that God told them and then led them into sin and then came the curse and then came everything else. And he's still questioning people today. He's questioning you and I. In fact, when you walk out of here today, he's going to question you about this message. <laughs> Warning. <laughs> you see it? So Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. In other words, all the bigwigs came to town. <laughs> Annas, the high priest, who would be like our modern-day pope, more than likely, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest, came. They brought the two disciples in and demanded, by what power and in whose name have you done this? What are they after? What are they questioning? What are they trying to find out? What are they trying to take? They're trying to find out in what power and in whose name did you perform this miracle? Now think about it for a minute. This is the biggest of biggest religious leaders on the planet of the day. And they're asking these guys, how did you do this? <laughs> Verse 
Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, in case you came to church wondering if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the answer is yes, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day because if you don't pour out what the Holy Spirit fills you with, then you leak and you need to be refilled. How often should I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Every time you need it. So then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that, the, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Wow. Peter gets arrested, thrown in jail, spends the night in jail. The next morning he's in court with the religious leaders and they start questioning him. And instead of being defensive, Peter gets offensive. He gets on the offense. He doesn't sit back and try to defend what he believes. He gets an opportunity to say something in front of all these religious powerhouses and he speaks the absolute gospel truth to them. He didn't back down. Why did he not back down? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, Peter did not prepare this sermon. Peter did not prepare his, his rebuttal. He did not prepare his defense. He didn't know he was getting arrested. He didn't know he was going to be on trial. He had no preparations at all. So if you're, if you're wondering if you need to be prepared for this or that, you don't need to be prepared as you think you do. In fact, more than being prepared, you need to be positioned. Watch verse 13. I love verse 13s. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I find it really funny that the ones who were supposed to have the spiritual authority of the day were asking those who weren't supposed to have anything where they got their power from. They came in ready to accuse and to, and to condemn and to question and to cause questioning in them also. And they came in trying to shut them down. But what they ended up finding out was that they didn't know nothing. And they were asking ordinary men where they got what they got. Because y'all did something we could never do and we supposed to be it. You see it? You see, even man-made authorities have to bow to spiritual authority. Can I say that again? Even man-made authority has to bow to spiritual authority. So if the president of the United States comes and tells you that you need to do something that goes against God's will, you can tell him no, and he has to listen. And he can threaten to huff and puff and blow your house down, but it don't matter because you have spiritual authority. He only has man-made authority. So there's three things that's worth spending a little bit of time on this morning because I'm about to take all of your excuses and throw them out the window. The first thing the Bible says is that they, they were amazed because of the boldness of Peter and John. Then it says that they could see that they were what? Ordinary men. So question, by show of hands, how many of you would consider yourself an ordinary man or woman? Raise your hands. If you don't raise your hands, I'm going to embarrass you. You would consider yourself an ordinary man or woman. There's no princes or princesses in this building. Nobody has the title of governor or even mayor. The mayor's not here today, right? So, so you are an ordinary man or woman. Agree? Agree. Okay. Good. So were they. Then it says they had no special training in the scriptures. So if you've not had any special training in the scriptures, would you please raise your hand? If you've had no special training in the scriptures, now look around, this is everybody. Okay, all right. 
Your excuses are flying out the window right now. I don't know if you can see it, but the, the curtains are moving. I mean, the, they're going out the window right now because you're ordinary and you have no special training in the scriptures. Oh my gosh, you're getting qualified. Watch out, look at your neighbor. Oh my God, I'm getting qualified. <gasps> what is the third thing? They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So they didn't have a special title. They didn't have special training. What did they have? They had that they were been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. What do you need today? You just need to be with Jesus. You don't need special training in the scriptures. You don't need a specific job title. Just be with Jesus, and that's more than enough. Now what you going to use as an excuse to not go out into this world and reach the lost? What are you going to use as an excuse now to not stand up in boldness and preach the gospel? What are we going to use? Because I don't know if you realize what just happened, but you just got qualified for ministry. Not ministry in the church, ministry in the world. You're ordinary and you're not specially trained, but you can be with Jesus. Come on, somebody. Dear goodness, just get up in the morning and get with Jesus and you got everything you need for the day. Ordinary. You see, that's the beauty of God. Is he's not going after what the world considers wise and smart and talented and skilled. Who's he going after? Who does God use? Ordinary people. Which means this, that it's better to be ordinary than it is to be special. Do you realize you're more popular than an NFL star, an NBA star? Like those guys chase a piece of pig skin around. You're, you're, you got, you're better than that. You got more authority than that. You're more popular than that. You might not be on the TV, but you got a cloud of witnesses watching over you. What were they questioning? They were coming after their authority. By what power and whose name? They wanted to know who gave them the ability to do this miracle. But you see, you got to understand something. The priests were struggling because these are the very same guys who put Jesus on trial. These are the same guys who convicted Jesus to death. These same people, these high priests, these spiritual authorities are the ones who were responsible for shutting Jesus down, so they thought. And they thought Jesus was in that grave with the stone rolled in front of it, and they thought they wouldn't have to deal with Jesus anymore, but all of a sudden, they're hit with the reality that Jesus is still alive. (laughs) He's still alive. Where is he? He's in Peter. He's in John. He's in you. He's still alive. He's still causing trouble. He's still stirring up the system, right? Why? Because Jesus is still alive. They thought we wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. We wouldn't have to deal with these miracles anymore. We could go back to being the spiritual elitist on the planet. But now ordinary men come and they show us up. The apostles were stirring up the religious system that had been established in that day. You know there's a religious system that's been established today? Do you know the world's got the church beat down to a position of, well, we just need to do whatever the world says? We need to conform, we need to mandate, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do all the things that the world and the governor and the mayor and the, and the, and the president tells us to do and, and so we can't, we can't preach in schools, we can't pray in schools, we can't, we can't talk about Jesus in the workplace, we can't do all these other things. We've buckled under the pressure when we were never supposed to. These were ordinary men doing extraordinary things. 
So first came the questioning. Number two, there was an attempt to take their authority. So they're questioning the apostles. They're amazed by them, and they're questioning them. Then something happens. They put them out of the room for a moment, and then they start to question themselves. Can you say backfire? Can you say backlash? Verse 16, it says, what should we do with these men? (laughs) Well, you called them in here because you was going to do something with them. Now you don't know what to do with them. When's the last time your boss had a, had a question to another employee and said, what are we going to do with T-Boy? Every time I come around the corner, he's praying for somebody. He's telling somebody about Jesus. What are we going to do with this boy? He's encouraging people. What kind of thing does he think he can do around here? What are we going to do with him? When's the last time you got in trouble for doing something for Jesus? Oh, I know some of you are some troublemakers. You like trouble. Come on, I'm not going to make you raise your hands. But you like trouble. You love to stir up some trouble. Problem is you've been stirring up the wrong kind of trouble. What happens if you start stirring up the right kind of trouble? What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone, watch this, in Jesus' name again. In other words, we got to warn them not to use the authority that they've been given. The world and the devil don't mind if you go to church, they don't mind if you read your Bible. The devil gets really nervous, though. When you start to walk in authority. What does he want to shut down? He wants to take away your authority. And get you to buckle just like everybody else has buckled. And then you compromise and you become so much like the world that the world doesn't even know that you're a Christian or not. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. (sighs) Hmm. Isn't that where we're at today? Why is this world getting crazier? The devil didn't gain any power, the church just lost his authority. We forfeited it. Nobody can take it from us. We forfeit it. We give it over. We give it away. We buckle under the pressure. We give in. We compromise. We don't say. We don't do. We don't, we don't go where God wants us to go because we're too worried about everything else. So we just buckle under the pressure and then the world keeps advancing into the darkness that it's advancing into. But even that can be reversed. Amen. Watch what Peter does, him and John. They replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? So when your boss or anybody in authority over you comes at you and says you can't do that anymore and it's a godly thing, you can honestly look back at them and say, do you really think that God wants me to obey you rather than him? You're tripping, bro. Do you really believe that? Look at the next thing he says. We cannot. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Mm. Do you know sometimes the most authoritative thing you can say is we cannot? Yo, bro, we'll get some drugs. Can't do that no more. Why not? Born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't belong to that world anymore. I cannot do that. Bro, you really need to take this Jesus thing down a couple notches. Can't do that. Why not? Can't stop talking about what I see and hear. 
Bro, you need to go there. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to quit doing this. Can't do that. But why? Because God told me not to. Bro, you need to come trick-or-treat. You need to dress your kids up like some little demons and go around the neighborhood asking for candy. And you need to celebrate this demonic holiday. Can't do that. But why? Because it's demonic. And I serve a holy God. I can't imagine what he looks like when he sees his children celebrating a demonic holiday. Literally passing to the next generation something demonic. Can't do that. You know how we didn't do that? We never started that. My kids never went trick-or-treating. Don't start something you're going to have to stop later on. So what do you do now? Oh, my God, well, little Jimmy's been, he's been trick-or-treating before. How do I take trick-or-treating away from little Jimmy? Oh, my God, he'll crush his spirit. Oh, he's going to die. Oh, little Jimmy. First thing you can do is be honest with him. Little Jimmy, I failed you. I thought it was important that you celebrated demons. But I've repented to Jesus and I realized you don't need to do that. Now, I know for some of you, I'm making you real uncomfortable right now, but I don't care. Honestly, I do not care. It is demonic. You can't wash it, you can't tumble it, and you can't dry it enough to make it not demonic. It burns me. What do I do, Pastor? I started with my kids. We started trick-or-treating and now they expect to do it every year and their friends do it. Oh my God, their friends do it. We don't do that anymore. Well, what about if they cry? Let them cry. But it's going to crush them. No, it ain't going to crush them. It's actually going to set them free. Come on. <laughs> Come on. It might just set them free. And you might be free too. Because now you don't have to pretend to like to do something you really don't like to do because your soul and your spirit gets all uncomfortable when you get around the wrong spirit and you celebrate the wrong spirit. I didn't mean to go there even in my notes. I just, I don't know. Just whatever. Just you go trick-or-treating. That's on you. I still love you. But I just, you know, honestly, I feel sorry for you. I do love you, though. You're better than that. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. I'm going to show you in a minute that you're better than that. We cannot. We cannot do that anymore. We cannot stop telling people about Jesus. We cannot celebrate things that don't need to be celebrated. We cannot become like the world any more than we already are. We cannot. It's the most authoritative thing you can say is we cannot. And when people ask why, then tell them why. I can't do that. So what did the council do? They threatened them further. But they finally let them go because they, they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Let's unpack this for a minute. They asked the question, what should we do with these men? They didn't know how to handle real authority. Here's a, here's a heads up. When you start to walk in the spiritual authority that God's given you, the people around you who have authority won't know how to deal with you because they've not been around real spiritual authority. So you need to prepare yourself for that. Oh, they're going to get up in the flesh. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get nasty. I'm telling you, I've seen it happen in marriages where the man will finally step into his position as the head of the household, not as a dictator, but as a, a godly leader. And he steps in that role and he starts to walk in the authority that God's given him. I've seen spouses go crazy. Like the same one that used to pray for him is now praying against him. You ask God, you ask God to make him your man. Now you got him, what you gonna do with him? You're acting like the little dog chasing the car. You don't know what you're gonna do when you catch it. 
Well, when you catch him, just enjoy the ride. It's going to be good. These ordinary men walked into town and they used their authority to heal a lame man. Real authority walks up and disrupts the establishment. If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. If everybody's pleased with you, you've become a people pleaser. Which means this, that you've compromised things of God to make man happy. So they warned him, they commanded him, they threatened him and said, you ain't going to stop us. You ain't going to stop us. Do you think you want, God wants us to obey you rather than him? You're tripping, right? We can't stop. I cannot do that. Because here's the truth. The devil and the religious folks want to take away your authority. You want to know why? Because it makes them unsettled. It unsettles them. People don't like it when you talk about healing. People don't like it when you talk about deliverance. People don't like it when you talk about freedom. They all want it, but they get real uncomfortable when you actually start doing it. You ever pray for somebody and they're kind of just like melting out from underneath you? And you're like, Lord, I pray you deliver. I called a guy one time at the job site. He knew I was a Christian. He came up to me. He, he waited till I was behind a piece of equipment. And he walks up and goes, hey, bro, hey. Like, like will you pray for me and my wife? Like, man, we're struggling, bro. Like, it's bad. And I guess he thought I was going to take that home and pray for him. I was trained different. I said, sure, bro, I'm going to pray for you right now. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I got me a good grip because I knew he was going to run. I caught me a good grip. I said, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. You convict his heart. You teach him how to be a godly man, how to love you, how to serve you, how to follow you, and how to be a great example for his kids. And I pray he's gently calm with his wife. This dude was on the ground, and he wasn't because he was getting knocked out. He was trying to get away. He got uncomfortable. He never asked me to pray for him again. I can't imagine why. (laughs) The church today needs to speak up with the authority it's been given more than ever before. This is what I find amazing about today. Is we're not like the book of Acts that we were afraid of of man-made authorities. We're not afraid of that today. You know what we're afraid of? We're afraid of our peers. The people equal to us. Our friends. Our acquaintances. We're afraid of what they might say about us. They're afraid of losing an image we think we've built up. We're afraid of that, that somebody would think less of me. Sometimes we're afraid of, of how people may feel about me. I can't, I can't use my authority in their life. I can't encourage them with some authority because they might think I'm overreaching and I don't want to disrupt them. Disrupt them! They're stuck because they, nobody wants to disrupt them. Now, you don't have to be as aggressive as I'm preaching. You can be pretty, cute, and petite and still accomplish the same thing. You can be right there, in the name of Jesus. Girl, you just need to come out. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can do that. I can't. That just looks weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, I practiced. I don't know what that looks like, but I practiced. That's the best petite I got. (laughs) It's not how many veins pop out of your neck. It's by what authority you walk in. It's by the confidence that you walk into the room with. Remember, what did did they have? They had been with Jesus is what they had. They weren't special. They had no special training. They had just been with Jesus. Hmm. So we're afraid of what others may think. How do you know if you're walking in spiritual authority or not? Simple. Do an evaluation of your time, your energy, and your treasures. And get brutally honest with yourself and figure out where they all go. 
I guarantee you for most of us, our time, energy, and treasures go into providing things for ourselves for the purpose, not just of being healthy, but of impressing the people around us. You'll be broke as a joke and still buy you some Nikes. Because you want everybody else to not know that you're broke. Where are you spending your time, your energy, and your treasures? Is it for his kingdom? Or is it just for you? Hmm. So there could be a couple reasons why we don't use our God-given authority. Could be because we're worried about how it looks or makes us look. We worry about what others may say, what people may feel. Here's one. Maybe you don't know you have it. I can deal with that one today. The rest of them, you're going to have to deal with Jesus on those because that means you've got an identity issue. Amen? We don't know what we have. So let's talk about that. I'm going to spend a little bit of time unpacking that. I can't get into the full, fullness of it all. It's, it's, a, it's a deep, long teaching, but I want you to understand where you get a spiritual authority from. I'm going to give you the, the compacted version. I will come back later on and preach a message on spiritual authority and go a little further in depth, but I think I've, I've given you, I'll give you enough to get some understanding so that you can start walking in it right now. So number three, do I live with authority? And it's a good question that needs some explanation before you can answer it. So the day you were born again, the day you were saved, the day you gave your life to Jesus, I want you to pay attention to me because you need to understand this. The day you were born again, you were given authority by God because of your new relationship with Jesus. If you remember what the scriptures say, before you were born again, you were an enemy of God Now that you've been born again, you're a friend of God, which means this, that your position has changed. You were an enemy, now you're a friend. Does it make sense? So so, so more than just having your name registered in heaven happened the day you were born again. And that's what we're going to talk about. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, For... He raised us, talking about believers, from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So watch this. He raised us from the dead along with Christ. In other words, just like Christ came out of the grave, we came out of death into life. You were spiritually dead when you were born again. Now you're spiritually alive. He raised you. That's what water baptism represents. You were dead in your sin, but you came out and you're washed and your new life has begun. Does that make sense? So he says that just like Christ was raised from the grave, you've been raised the same way. That's pretty cool if you think about it. Then he says this, And you were seated, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You got a new seat. (laughs) Not this seat. Not this cushion you sit on. You got like a new seat. You got like a new, a new chair. This, you got a new seat now, and it's, it's in the heavenly realms. It's, it's not down there anymore. It's up here. And, and your name's on that seat, and it's your seat. And if somebody sits in your seat, you can tell them, get out of my seat. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is present tense, y'all. This is not talking futuristically. Present tense. When you were saved, you were raised like Christ and you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I got your attention? That word seated means that you were placed next to Jesus with the intentions to dwell with Jesus. Jesus gave his life for you so that he could spend his time with you. (laughs) Why why is it so hard to spend time with Jesus? Because the devil don't want you to spend time with Jesus. Because your flesh don't want to spend time with Jesus. You need to realize that and push through it and know that I've been seated with Jesus and I have a God-given right to spend time with Jesus. So he says you were seated, 
He seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. This is your position as a Christian now. You're seated with Christ. If you'll read your Bible, you'll realize the Bible says you are from this world, but you are not of this world. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You don't belong to it anymore because you got born again. When you got born again, you got a new home. It's in heaven. It's the heavenly realms. Come on. Which means this. You don't have to go home to that old house. It's not your residence anymore. You don't have to be like you used to be. You don't have to talk like you used to talk. You don't have to respond like you used to respond. You don't have to react like you used to react. Why? Because you don't live there no more. You live in heaven with Jesus. You're seated with him. Colossians chapter 3, let me see if I, can, if I can help you understand it this way. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read it from the message translation. Listen to what it says. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. The old, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. COVID gave us the blessing called Zoom. How many of you had to use Zoom? Or maybe one of the other ones. I can't remember all the names, but they, you hate them, right? Like, I, the only thing I like about them is I don't have to drive to Jennings now. That's, that's two hours of my life I got back because of Zoom. But I do have to sit behind a computer, but I can sit in my sharp pants as long as I keep my camera right. And Anyway, thought that was funny. Y'all didn't. It's kind of like Zoom. I can be at home where I belong, but I'm represented somewhere else. I belong here, but I'm being used over there. You know, there's, there's several people. I'm not going to say there's a lot of people, but there's several people that don't come to church here, but they listen to me online. It's kind of the same thing. I'm here, but my reach is there. It's a mindset. It's an understanding of where you are now. Technically speaking, it's a lordship issue. Look at your neighbor and say, we got a lordship issue. You can see many of us in many days of our lives were spent or spending operating from the wrong location. We're living out of earth and we don't belong to earth anymore. We need to live out of the limitations of earth, but we can't get there because we have a lordship issue we're struggling with. Let me see if I can show it to you. Acts chapter two, verse 36. <clears throat> Peter, Peter said this when he stood up and preached. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucify. Watch this, both. He made him to be both, say both both Lord and Savior. Who is Jesus? He's both. He's both Lord and Savior. He's not just Savior and he's not just Lord. Jesus can save you and he can Lord you if you let him. Yes. By the way, the best thing you can ever do is let Jesus Lord you. Yes. So the Messiah saves you, but the Lord leads you. If you let him. But just like you let him save you, why don't you just let him lead you? <laughs> Our lordship issue is keeping us from experiencing the greatness of God. It really is. Our lordship issue has got us in a place where when the enemy starts to question us, 
we start to believe his questions. Let me see if I can show it to you through the Gospels. Luke chapter 9, and I'll go to Luke chapter 10. Jesus does something very significant in Luke chapter 9. He takes his 12 disciples, and it says this, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them, watch this, power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all, all diseases. Notice he said all twice, all demons and all diseases. You might ought to underline that. All demons and all diseases, including COVID, including the flu, including the runny nose, including everything else. Come on, somebody. All demons, including the ones you go out and party with or the ones that you stay home and have to deal <laughs> Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He gave them some instructions. He gave them power and authority and then he sent them out to go and do something with it. He's not going to give it to you if you ain't going to do nothing with it. They didn't hear me. He's not going to give it to you if you're not going to do nothing with it. He gave them the power and the authority and because he was their Lord and they were no longer the Lord of their life, when he said to go out and cast out all the demons and heal all the diseases, they went out and did what he said and they discovered something. His authority and his power is beyond this planet. They discovered the greatness of God. They discovered the power of Jesus. They discovered that he's a really good Lord and I'm not. But they would have never discovered that if they would have just stayed right there. That's a good idea, Jesus. You know, one day I probably ought to do that. I probably ought to give me some of that power and authorities and, and go out there and cast out some of them demons. I might get to that one day. Well, until that one day happens, you're going to sit in the same old place you've been sitting your whole life. And you're not going to learn nothing new, discover nothing new, experience nothing new. Life's going to get really boring for you and Christianity is just going to be something you do. They stepped into it. You see, we got to get past our lordship issue. Jesus does it again in the next chapter. What's funny is that when these guys, when the 12 came back, they were excited. And you, when you read the scriptures, you can see where they were trying to tell Jesus about everything that happened. But, they, but Jesus ran into an opportunity for a miracle to feed 5,000 people. He's like, we ain't got time to talk right now. We got to go feed these people. And so they, got, they went from casting out all the demons and healing all the disease to feeding all the people. It was an all kind of day, Right? But Jesus does it again in chapter 10. He sends out 72 this time and then the 72 come back and they get a chance to share what happens. And I want you to see something at the end of this. Verse 17, chapter 10, it says, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Shocker. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In other words, he was kicked out real fast. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing, say that with me, say nothing. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Verse 21 Verse 21 is so cool. Watch verse 21. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father in heaven, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Jesus got giddy when they used their authority and the power that he gave them. Come on. Come on. Mm. He likes it when we use his power and his authority. Why? Why does he get full of joy when we use his power and his authority? Because then his will gets accomplished and the kingdom gets advanced and more of these people on the planet get to spend eternity in heaven. He likes that. God, am I in the right church? He got, he was filled with joy. 
Best way I can explain it is our kids are, are becoming adults now, all three of them, at one time it seems like. It's kind of funny because they were all born at the same time. And, and we're excited, yet nervous at the same time. Because we've spent 23 years raising these little Indians and wondered the whole time if we were doing it right. Wondering if we scarred them and marred them and messed them all up, right, babe? Many times we look at each other like, uh-oh. I don't know if Jesus can fix this. And now they're at a place where they're about to walk out on their own and everything we've done is, <laughs> it's about to be exposed. Hey, if I'm being real, we nervous. But we've got some glimpses. I think they might have it. I think they might have it. I think they might have it. And when we see a little glimpse that they got it, you know what happens? We get giddy. Hey, baby, baby, hold up. Did you hear that? This like literally happens at our house. Like they'll, they'll make a statement about their future and we go, oh. We'll go. That's how Jesus felt. That's how Jesus feels today. When each one of us uses the God-given authority that he's given us to operate on this planet, he rejoices. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? They just simply went and did what Jesus said they could do. Okay. It's, it's like that. Okay. What happens tomorrow if you wake up in the morning and you sit with Jesus for a couple of minutes and say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He says, okay, I want you to go talk to this guy at your job and tell him that I love him. Okay. And you go do it. Let me show it to you with Paul. Because Paul wasn't one of the original disciples. Paul was a guy who came by afterwards. Just in case you were thinking you needed to be an original disciple to get this. Paul was knocked off of his horse. His name was Saul. Knocked off of his horse and blinded. And Jesus appears to him. He says, who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting, bruh. Now get to your feet, exclamation mark. You see the authority? For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people, that, tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Who's doing the rescuing? God is. So it doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter how they react to your authority. God's the one who rescues you from all of that. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Now that's not light and fluffy, y'all. Jesus told Paul, I'm sending you to a nationality of people to set them free. You're to go in there and open their eyes and pull them from the grip of Satan into my kingdom. That's what you're going to go do. That same message is true for every one of us today. Why are you on the planet today? Why do you still have breath in your lungs? Because God still has a mission for your life. Yes, you're saved. Great. So was Peter and John. Yes, you're filled with the Spirit. Great. So was Peter and John. They had everything they needed. But they also had the love of God inside of them that caused them to go find people that didn't have it and bring it to them. You see it? Big difference, eh? 
God wants to show us his muscles. He wants to demonstrate his power through us. Would you let him? Would you just let him? Because you see, until Jesus is your final authority, your dictator, your commander, in every area of your life, you won't see his authority. Which means this, that Jesus must have the right to veto you, to overrule you, and to have the final say about you. Jesus must have that right in all of our lives. He must be the Lord of all of my life. Because for some of you, you've been two-timing God for too long. You got enough of Jesus to get to heaven and enough of this world to not even get accused of it. It's time to stop. It's time to sell out. In fact, that's what he said in Revelations. You need to sell out to one or the other. Because if you're sitting in the middle, I'm going to throw you up. Come on now, that's serious. You're sitting in the middle, I'm going to throw you up. You better choose whose side you're on because they ain't playing no more because God's only going to let you two-time in for so long. So what do we do? I love the way you ask questions. What do we do? Normally I would tell you that you need to recommit your life to Jesus and you need to make a commitment to him, but I'm not going to tell you that anymore because you, you can take a commitment back. Because if you commit to something, that means you're still in control of it. What I'm going to tell you to do is I'm going to tell you to surrender. Because when you surrender, it means this. It means you give up your rights. You give up control. You give up authority over your life to Jesus. That's what lordship is. So great, you're saved. The Messiah saved you. But when are you going to bow down to the Lord and let him lead you? It takes surrendering. Do you know what you do when you surrender? <laughs> Whatever you're told. <laughs> Boy. I think that might be hitting hard for some of us. You mean whatever God would tell me? Whatever you're told. Phew. So what do we do today? What do we do right now? The Bible tells us to repent and to surrender. Repent and surrender. Repent means to turn away from being the Lord of your own life and surrender your life to Jesus. The same way you accept the Messiah, you accept the Lord. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but... have a lordship issue I do every day I have a lordship issue I wish I could tell you the first time I surrendered to his lordship was the last time every day I surrender again Sometimes, multiple times during the day. I like to be in control. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I like to dictate the way things are going to go. I like to determine what things are going to look like. I want to know how it's going to feel before I feel it. Come on, somebody. I got a lordship issue. come to this understanding in my own life that I'm the only one that can fix my lordship issue. Nobody else can fix it for me. Just like I can't fix it for you today. I can preach till the veins pop out of my neck and you still can have a lordship issue when you walk out of church. I can't make you. It's your responsibility. Just like it's mine. I know this much to be true. 
more I live surrendered, the more I see God. The more I live surrendered, the more God uses me. The more I live surrendered, the less mess I get myself into. If I want to live fulfilled and satisfied, I need to surrender more. After 47 years, I finally come to the realization that the things of the world aren't really just things. And they'll do just like the Bible says, they'll rust, the moths will eat it, or the thieves will break in and steal it. what we all long for, revival. Real revival. I read a story about Evan Roberts the other day. And he was responsible for the, the great Welsh revival back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Listen to what this revival was like. At 13 years old, he felt the call of God to preach never dated, never played sports, never did any of those things. Studied his Bible and prayed all the time. By 16, he got his first opportunity to speak. He started speaking. Not long after, right before he's about to hit 20, he gets his first meeting. And he goes in and he does the thing that God's anointed him to do. And the Bible, and not the Bible, but the, the story goes that revival broke out in Wales. Soccer games closed down because there were no stands, no people in the stands, and there was no players on the field. Liquor stores and convenience stores closed down because nobody was buying alcohol anymore. That's revival. Revival is not getting a bunch of people to come celebrate in a church. Revival is when you start affecting the world around you. And when this church, just like any other time in history, will, will surrender itself to Jesus' Lordship, we will see revival in this community. We will see revival in this area. It can happen again today because we serve the same God today. I just want to see a real revival happen. And all of us need to take responsibility that revival starts in me. Thank you. 
new seat that's in the heavenly realms. And I have your authority and your power to operate on this planet. Help me to discover what that feels like, looks like, and is like. I trust you.